Welcome to Main Street Banking, a podcast for community bankers brought to you by the Barrett School of Banking, located in the heart of banking, blues, and barbecue, Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Byron Earnhardt. I am the program director here at Barrett, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to our corner of the banking world and hope that we can make your bank, your staff, and maybe even your day a better one. Okay, welcome back to Main Street Banking, the podcast for community bankers. Um, We've got today one of our many times returning uh, guest on the podcast and we were talking about right after right before we press record that <clears throat> for a podcast banking podcast this is one of the few traditions we have is at the end of the year we bring back jimmy sawyers uh to take a look at his top 10 tech predictions that he made at the beginning of the year and then we talk about how the year panned out and some his thoughts in the tech sector uh, about the way the year went I'm saying that with a smile on my face because 2020 has been an interesting year, Jimmy. So we're, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to kind of take a smile with this too and en- enjoy our time together. But Jimmy, for our new listeners, why don't you uh, tell them about yourself and a little bit about Sawyers and Jacobs? Sure. Well, Byron, thanks for having me back. Uh, always an honor to be with you this time of year, e- even to look back on my predictions and see how right or wrong I've been. So right. uh, it's, a- it's always, always a lot of fun. And of course, uh, I think I'm entering my 22nd year on the faculty at the Barrett yeah. Graduate School of Banking. So you guys have uh, always uh, been a great partner. And uh, this is near and dear to my heart because we want to continue to help community banks. And really, this is what we do at Sawyers and Jacobs. We have clients coast to coast from Oregon to Virginia. And of course, uh, a lot of clients in the Mid-South, and we help banks with technology, payments, and cybersecurity issues. Got a great team, and they're out there traveling the nation and helping banks with a lot of the areas we're going to be talking about today. So that that's our passion, community banks, and, and helping those community banks uh, serve their customers and their communities. And I think we saw a lot of banks shine in that area this year and learn a lot of valuable lessons we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and get into it, Jimmy. Your uh, prediction number one was tap to pay improves the customer experience and increases interchange revenue. So how how'd that go this year? Well, this is something, and as you said earlier, I mean, great understatement that right. 2020 was a different year, right? So I, right. I started the year with uh, my only worry being would the St. Louis Cardinals make it to the World Series? And then now we know. <laughs> how things, uh, how things went. So, uh, this has been obviously, I won't even go through all of the, uh, cliches of uh, uncertain times and all that. But yeah, I think tap to pay was something I was excited about from yeah. a debit card standpoint. Uh, you know, I've always been a germaphobe. So contactless payments have been a favorite of mine for 20 years since I had my old speed pass watch with an RFID chip in the band where I could get by the gas pump and, and uh, contactlessly, you know, make my payment through my credit card there. So when we still look, you know, going into 2020, Byron, one third of of transactions in the U S are still cash. And Mm -hmm. so now, you know, during the pandemic, we've seen a lot of businesses now ask for card payments exclusively instead of cash. Now, I don't know what that did to the numbers, but just anecdotally, I think we can all agree that um, 
we wanted to see people go to more electronic means of payments. And I think that tap to pay and contactless are going to continue to rise in popularity and, and really help this digital transformation that we saw. It had already started, but certainly it's been accelerated in 2020. So it really just accelerated that digital revolution that had already begun. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of banks are helping their customers do that. So I, I'm still a big fan of tap to pay. I think that's going to be great as banks get the get their debit cards ready for that. Uh, over 63% of merchant terminals are ready to go. And I think we're going to see contactless continue to rise, even at the ATM, you know, being able to take your mobile phone to the ATM and have even contactless ATM transactions. So I think we're going to continue to see that. So uh, I'll stand by that prediction of things. We might've seen a bump in the road, but that that's going to really help a lot of businesses and a lot of banks and a lot of bank customers. Yeah. I think we definitely saw a change in the way people pay and uh, exchange goods and services uh, through the pandemic. I mean, we saw it with the, the, the coin shortage um, and anybody that's worked at Telewinda, uh, knows just how absolutely nasty money can can be. So that really became front of mind with a lot of customers. So yeah, I, I agree. Prediction two: uh, this one this one might be the most understatement for 2020, Jimmy. Contact centers take on a greater importance and empower agents with decision making ability driven by advanced data analytics. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this one you know, over 100 year old technology, the telephone suddenly became the most important technology in the bank. Right. right so right. With, with, with branches closed, you know, people were calling on the phone and, and those banks that already had the contact center in place, that infrastructure, people trained to handle customers on that channel. Uh, they, they really did well. So I think smart bankers up their game, got better at managing those calls, including texts and emails. You know, before mm-hmm. I'd go into a bank, they'd be, oh, you know, we can't, we can't text our customers and we can't email them. And there's all this fear surrounding that. And I think a lot of banks have figured out, no, you know, uh, uh, text calls, texts and emails are all fine in a contact center. That's okay. There's a way we can manage that, mitigate the risk, but continue to serve our customers. So, yeah, I think that uh, will continue to be the case going into 2021. And when I say a contact center, you know, a community bank doesn't have to have a contact center that looks like the LL Bean catalog ordering <laughs> right. contacts. You know, it it can be it can be two or three people just with the right technology and communications equipment. So I think we're definitely going to see that trend continue. Right. I agree. I like prediction three. Um, I'm interested to hear your take on it. You know, in, in, at the end of 2020, bank CEOs assume a more vocal tech leadership role. Yes, ab- absolutely. And and you know, I know you guys did a, a crisis leadership series at the start of the pandemic, and I was uh, honored to participate in that for sure. So you guys did a great job, I think, uh, in this area helping educate bank management on. Uh, their, their role. And certainly as was highlighted there, you know, during times of crisis, leadership is, is critical. It's needed. And so we saw a lot of CEOs that had to step up and make decisions often overruling that uh, just say no crowd who tends to fight against any change, you know, so mm. afraid, afraid of laptop security. Well, tough, you know, we now, <laughs> we now have a mobile workforce. So, so give them laptops, support that mo- mobile workforce, give them what they need to get the job done, to make loans, to serve the customers. 
So CEOs had to come up and really veto a lot of decisions that had been made in the past just to, to maintain that status quo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some, someone who was worried in the bank that a mobile deposit, you know, for $20 would be fraudulent. You know, the CEO was like, are you, are you kidding me? Stop checking every mobile deposit. Let's just manage the risk. Let's don't stifle our efficiency and really make the customer experience miserable. So we saw a lot of that. And I'm lucky I get to lead uh, discussions on these topics at, at three different CEO forums. Uh, this year. And I noticed that all of the CEOs were much more engaged in their bank's tech strategies. Mm. And I, I see this as an extremely positive trend because you've heard me say before, you know, tech is a tool. It's a means to an end. And so I think the focus has rightly returned to the business of banking, you know, taking care of the customer, keeping employees motivated and productive. And then CEOs are providing that leadership to really break down those barriers and, and make this happen. So, you know, a lot of banks, the whole bank team, not just the CEOs, have performed amazingly during this time and taking care of their customers and keeping their banks moving in the right direction. And uh, I certainly think that's going to continue. We've seen it and I think we'll continue to see it. Absolutely. I like what you said in the blog, uh, the first sentence, bank CEOs, repeat after me, I vowed to never start another sentence by saying, quote, I don't know anything about IT. So would you, end quote, would you rather know IT or banking? And I just think it's going to be hard to get away with that from here on out, um, from CEOs to leadership. I think it's going to be hard to get away with that after what we've been through. So I thought that was a really good, pretty, pretty good prediction there. Uh, number four, you said smart bankers decide doomsday prepping is not a profitable business. Well, this was one that just if you just read uh, if you just read that, if you just read the headline, you're going to think, wow, Jimmy really missed this one. Right. Because parts <laughs> of 2020, parts of 2020 have certainly felt like doomsday. I know. Right. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll stick I'll stick by this prediction because the context was I said, you know, it really has not been a time to hunker down, to be so afraid of cybersecurity threats or any other threat that we really just, you know, roll up into the fetal position and stop doing business. I think, and even during the pandemic, you know, I told my team, I said, now's not the time for us to to shrink back and hunker down. It's really time to press the accelerator because these banks are going to be helping their customers survive, helping small businesses adapt, make sure the community is being served no matter the channel. I said, so now's the time for us to press the accelerator, not, not uh, lay back. And I think, you know, certainly no one, and let me say this to anybody that wants to get on here and say they predicted this pandemic where we'd be quarantining healthy people and shutting down businesses No bank's pandemic plan addressed the bizarre situation we find ourselves in. We were more worried about bird flu and things like that, okay? So no one predicted this. I wish I could say that every business continuity plan I wrote that I nailed this, but of course I didn't. No one did. So yes, the rules of engagement have changed, but we still needed engagement nonetheless. So my message remains the same here. Practice intelligent risk management, mitigate risk with practical controls, but, you know, continue to serve the customer on the channel of his or her choice. Again, press the accelerator, uh, not the brake. So we're going to go into 2021, continuing this digital transformation and, and cut your bank customers need you. They need the bank uh, to, to make it through these times, which, you know, we are going to make it through these times, but 
community banks are going to help uh, individuals and businesses do just that. And so I, I still say now is the time uh, to you know, continue moving, moving forward, kind of lean into it. Certainly don't uh, lay back. Yeah. I like your, um, I always like your challenge questions on this post that you do, Jimmy. It's it's always ones that make me really think hard about, and uh, it starts off, is your bank striking the right balance of security and convenience? I really like that. I thought that was a really uh, great uh, statement there that summarizes what your your point in that prediction. Uh, Number five, Traditional banks build a digital moat around their castles to repel the invaders. And this is really a commentary on open banking. You know, mm-hmm. you want to be really to the two definitions you've heard me talk about of open banking. Is this something that's going to be legislated, almost a, 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 a socialist or communist play here to say the traditional bank has to open up its systems to start up businesses, to fintechs, right. to allow them in and get to customer information like we've seen, frankly, in Australia and the European Union, where it's legislated that a traditional bank has to open up. Well, I, I'm not for that at all. I think that that's not uh, the free market. That, that's not what a lot of banks want. Uh, so, The other definition, of course, is having a robust application program interface so Mm -hmm. you can approve uh, certain third parties to come into your bank and and tap into that customer information and and facilitate transactions. We've seen that for years. So I think a lot of banks prior, really prior to the pandemic, were thinking, gosh, these fintechs, they've got it all figured out. So maybe we need to be partnering more with them. And, And I haven't said that banks need to stop partnering with fintechs, but what bankers found out, they thought, you know, fintechs were going to ride in on a white horse sometimes and save the day because this pandemic really should have been custom made for fintechs to shine and really do a great job, you know, because we're all digital and we can handle all this. But, mm-hmm. you know, instead of the, the white coming on the white horse, I mean, the neigh of a horse was replaced by the drone of crickets, right? There was nothing. <laughs> there was, there was no, there was no help. And bankers said, you know, um, we got to do this ourselves. So a lot of the fintech claims of having, you know, built a better mousetrap, uh, those were just exposed as, as hype when it came time to prove their worth and really prove they could play this game they'd been talking for years. So I think this has really steeled the resolve of a lot of bankers to become more self-sufficient in the fintech area. And, and I think that was a good strategy before 2020 started, and I think it's a good strategy now going into 20. 21 just uh you there's bankers can handle this themselves and they prove that with the ppp loans now some did partner with fintechs and you know that had its pros and cons are you giving away your customers to the fintech and then some of those fintechs they partnered with immediately got uh, acquired by, by larger uh financial services firms some of you know some of which are, are competitors to banks mm-hmm. so I think we're going to continue to see this. I think banks will, they'll still build this digital moat, but they'll, and they'll be careful who they let the drawbridge down for to come in. So they're still going to let the drawbridge down and have fintechs and other partners come in. But I think they're going to be much more selective with that uh, going into 2021. Very, very astute uh, advice and, and just common sense. Um, common sense advice, whether or not we had, like you to your point, whether or not we had the pandemic or not, that's just good, solid management and how to deal with uh, a risk management and how to deal with technology and using it as a means to an end, as you say. 
Um, number six, uh, business processes are examined for self-inflicted wounds. Exactly. You know, you've heard me say before, I mean, a lot of this is about getting the right people, processes, and technology aligned. Mm -hmm. And we've seen for years that these banks have great people, they have great technology with the business processes, sometimes are weighted down by compliance, security, legal, all of these things. And so we saw during this time, it's still important what we've been advocating for years and that let's, let's get debit cards in the hands of customers quickly so mm -hmm. they can start using them and generate an interchange revenue for the bank and having a more convenient customer experience. So, you know, instant issue debit cards became really important. Posting mobile deposits in a timely manner. Boy, mobile deposits really took on greater importance here. And so a bank that allows mobile deposits that have really the same utility or even better than an in-person deposit, those banks have thrived where, again, if the bank is, is scrutinizing my $10 birthday check from grandma and, and they're not posting it until two days after I submit it, that is, that's not going to work. And people will switch banks to someone who has a better business process. And certainly we saw, you know, allowing digital applications for loans and really approving those loans and dispersing funds quickly. Obviously, DocuSign, being able mm -hmm. to sign um, digitally and th those types of things became even more important. So again, it really became all all about the business process employed, more so about that than the technology. The technology's there, it's been there, it's how one uses it, and that's where examining a bank's business processes, what, where are the, uh, the speed bumps, the holdups, are they necessary? You're never gonna have a frictionless, a frictionless uh, process because, you know, you're a bank, you gotta have right. some friction, right? You gotta, you gotta check things out. You can't right. just open up the doors to everyone, but we can reduce a lot of that unnecessary friction. So I think we saw that and, and we'll continue to see that because we, we just have to in order to survive and also to be more efficient. You know, if 50% if has been a good efficiency ratio in the past, I think we're gonna see that e driven down even further. Mm -hmm. And certainly we've seen, you know, even assets per employee, those ratios, over my years in banking have really changed. And I think we're going to continue to see banks have to be more efficient and technology and these new business processes are going to help that. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're looking at the, uh, at your post that you made, um, one that came out when you came up was talking about a more square like experience in the form of email teller receipts, just as an example. And I know, you know, just doing rough math uh, in my head that, you know, right at 20, 25 percent of the time spent um, for tellers in a, in a transaction is printing the receipt. And I'm not getting into the creating digital cash ins and outs. I, I know that I don't want to go that. I'm not saying go that far, although I think we could. But doing the teller receipt, just emailing it, just like the way a square does here for at, the, at your local little coffee shop or something like that would cut down the expense and cut down the time. You're talking not not insignificant ways. I thought that was a really good example there. I also like your point. If Sears can email me a receipt and your bank cannot, we have a problem. <laughs> Very well said. <laughs> exactly. So Sears hasn't always been the, the beacon of uh, hope for technology, but right. they, you know, Hey, that, I, I love, I love Sears. I'm, I'm loyal to craftsman tools. So uh, same I'm here. Doing, 
I, I do my best to support Sears. Love Sears. Same here. No, I, a craftsman. I mean, that's all. I, that's I asked for some new craftsman tools for Christmas. Uh, but but uh, I, think, yeah. I think your I think your point is well said. If they can figure out how to email receipts, we got we can we can do the same here. Um, Absolutely. The next, the next question. The next point you made was number seven. Twenty years of tech compliance gets revisited and revamped. Exactly. You know, sometimes we've been worried about the wrong things, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Okay, so mm-hmm. so my my goodness, you know, in 2020, were we really worried about ADA compliant websites any longer? No, <laughs> uh, for, for for various reasons. One, uh, I don't think we thought that the Trump administration and the Department of Justice was going to be pursuing any of these cases, and they and they haven't since mm-hmm. uh, since 2016, and so. We saw banks that maybe were scared down a certain path. Uh, we saw that get revisited and revamped, like I said in the prediction. You know, we're not worried about, oh my goodness, what if we don't have a web link that warns website visitors that they're going to the bank's Facebook page? Oh my goodness, you know, <laughs> what, what if someone goes to our Facebook page and we didn't put up that speed bump, uh, that inconvenient, clunky, weird speed bump? And, you know, those things were not necessary as the year started. And guess what? In my opinion, they're no longer necessary. I mean, you'll see about half of the banks have the web links, half don't. That's because th- that regulatory issuance came out like in 2003, back before they even thought about social media. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm all for ADA compliance, but let me tell you, even the government websites aren't ADA compliant. So banks that did that, did that because they had a fear of getting sued by a law firm. Uh, I won't name, but uh, <laughs> they're uh, up kind of north and east of us. And, and so that's, that's something I think we, we saw banks really take a look at that and say, okay, we got 20 years of tech compliance here. What's really important and really what came out that really couldn't foresee the digital world we live in today, the social media world, all of that. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, I think we're, understanding better uh, what is important when it comes to compliance and security. Mm. Number eight, I'm, I'm really interested to hear your take on this because when we saw it in, um, in Barrett and in, in our operation when we went remote, um, number eight, tech time wasters and resource hogs are eliminated. Yeah, you know, back to the drive for efficiency. And mm-hmm. I'm just a big believer in if you got something going on in your bank that's unnecessary and taking away from the customer experience, taking away from employee productivity, taking away from making this a better bank, I think we have to really take a look at it. And we've had some tech solutions that have been sold. And let's say the salespeople have been better than the solution they're selling. (laughs) And so one that is just, it's just driven me crazy as I've traveled the nation helping banks with strategic technology plans are these vendor management systems. Vendor management remains one of the biggest time wasters in banking. Some banks are hiring a full-time person, even multiple full-time people to, to risk rank vendors uh, such as the guy who, who brings coffee to the bank or whoever <laughs> cleans the parking lot. And, and of course, Oh my gosh, you know, let's take the whole accounts payable list. So, Oh, there's the, Barrett Graduate School of Banking, they're on right. there. And here's the little, little league team we sponsored. And here, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it is absolutely ridiculous. It has to stop. It is 
pure madness. So bankers have bought these bloated, poorly designed, poorly supported automated vendor management systems that create a lot of work and return little to no value. And so I've said it before, I'll say it again. If a bank is spending more than 40 hours per year on vendor management, they're doing it wrong. There's a better way that it's compliant, it's effective, it'll eliminate all the wasted time. And guess what? It will it will take care of vendor management, which primarily is being done per the vendor oversight section of the Graham Leach Bliley Act that talks about you know vendors storing customer information. But then there's also a practical side where we want to vet our vendors and make sure we're signing contracts with good vendors. Well, after you sign the contract, that's not the time to start doing all this work. Do that work on the front end so you sign a contract with reputable vendors, you have a good contract, good pricing, all of those things. Instead, we see a lot of banks that they're, they're shuffling contracts and risk ranking items that really they don't have a lot of control over anyway. So again, that's really my crusade is to have banks just go back and re-examine these vendor management systems they bought and ask your people, how much time are you spending on this? And is it delivering any value to our bank? Because Again, I've seen a lot of them because I, I get around, as you know, and I just see that as one of the biggest time wasters in banking. And I just don't think we can afford to have those time wasters uh, in this more digital and competitive environment we're entering in 2021. Especially those little league teams, you know, they're they're a b they're a, 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 <laughs> they're, they're the zero ground zero for a lot of any money laundering and a lot of shady stuff going on with those little league teams. That's right. Well, you know, I think I think the, I think the bad news bears were sponsored by a, a bail bondsman, so, so maybe that's what they're. I don't know. Maybe maybe there is some risk there. I don't know. <laughs> but I, mean, I think it was. I think the, the 2020 showed up there again. Different animal, different processes, but it became readily apparent as we kind of had to overnight change the way we do business like banks did as well what was working and what didn't and when we were away from the 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 regular routine of the office what am i spending my time on that i don't need to be doing chris doesn't need to be doing ashley doesn't need to be doing same i'm sure in your shop it just became readily apparent those time wasters resource hogs inefficiencies and we're like there's got to be a better way to do this and i think that question got asked so many times over the past 12 months or nine months that i I really like you having had that a year ago i think that was a really good point um number nine digital only banks get crushed by digital two banks right and that's uh Digital to T-O-O, folks, okay, because a lot of banks really thought, my goodness, you know, we've got to just scrap this 100-year-old franchise in the name of digital. We've got to eliminate all our brick and mortar. We've got to go digital to compete. And, you know, my challenge to a lot of banks would say, would be, hey, at the turn of the century, why didn't you become an internet bank then? Why didn't you become an internet-only bank then? And I think that puts things into the proper context and and gives us the proper perspective. And that is, well, no, we offered that as a new channel and we did well with it. And I think the same thing here. That's why I think that digital two banks are going to crush digital only banks. I think we're seeing that because these new digital services are often uh, 80% complementary and only 20% disruptive. So it's complementary <laughs> with an E, right? right? So I think, you know, such is the case here with banking. There's, I've, I've said 
a long time for a long time. There's nothing a fintech is doing that a community bank can't do with the right people, processes, and technology in place. And I always say, you know, don't don't try to be a fintech. Just be a better bank, and you can do that. There, there's absolutely nothing they're doing that you can't do. So now, has consumer behavior changed? Yeah, my own behavior. I right. typically don't don't visit grocery stores anymore. I'm using Instacart a lot more. Right. You know, I used Instacart. I had groceries delivered uh, here last night. I uh, DoorDash a lot more. So you, you're going to see people using those digital services more often. But again, it's another channel. It's a complementary channel. It's not going to replace or supplant your branches and your ATMs and your other channels. People will use all of those channels. So I think that's where uh, our community banks can really do well in this area by, again, being a digital two, not necessarily a digital only bank. Yeah, great point. Finally, we, uh, you said that new lightweight cores will flip, flop, and die, not fly. Right. We see a lot of hype in the, frankly, the banking trade publications mm-hmm. about all these brand new, you know, startups and some of them startup cores, which, which by the way, you'll turn the page and there's a full page ad from that core. So right. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if true <laughs> journalism is dead or if it's just uh, being, <laughs> being paid for these days or what, but I, I want more than anyone for there to be a new, you know, robust, ready for prime time core banking solution. I want that. I think banking needs more competition. I also think the airlines and the oil companies need more competition too, but I'm not holding my breath there. Right. (laughs) So I I don't think the stability of the current core systems we have should be discounted. You know, I've always said, you know, my my marketing, my marketing guy is a different person than my CPA. Right. I, Right. I, I want them to be different people. I want them to dress differently, go to different parties. You know, it's a different skill set. It's a different personality. And I think the same thing applies here to the core. I kind of want my core to be boring. So Mm -hmm. I I can tell you, I I still predict that that bankers and their traditional core providers are are going to work together more, even going into 2021, to let that core do what it does best, you know, be boring and reliable, but develop around that core, the ancillary systems, the apps that, that customers are, are demanding. So this year, you know, and I always like to say, Byron, I, I'm, I do this work. I don't just talk about it. So, right. you know, we've worked, we've worked on about 14 core evaluations with banks this year. And I can tell you, I'll stand by this prediction. I think we'll continue to see consolidation in this space, not really expansion. Mm. Now that doesn't mean that we're not going to see uh, one or two cores emerge just like we did in the late nineties mm-hmm. as viable solutions. But, but what we find sometimes is some of these cores, if you want to do a digital savings account, they can do that all day long. You want to book a commercial loan, get into treasury management, do something complex, forget about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's why the due diligence is so important. So bankers that are wanting to look at these new cores, you know, my advice is, look at them. Please look at them. I think that's always a great exercise to see what's out there, but just put them under the same scrutiny and the same due diligence as you do the incumbent provider. And I think that that will be the the tail of the tape there. And you'll be able to figure out 
are these new cores for real or is it just uh, a lot of hype? So I, I think we're going to continue to see uh, some of the some of these cores, new cores survive, but they're really going to have to start getting some installations, getting some banks uh, on board mm-hmm. in order to uh, you know maintain the confidence of of the market. So I, I hope that happens. But until then, I think you're going to see a lot of bankers reluctant to convert cores. There just hasn't been a compelling reason to convert off that stable core, especially going into what might be an uncertain 2021 where they might be worried about asset quality. They might not want to put their staff through that type of, uh, that, that type of workload, you know, which conversions are, um, certainly, uh, never, never, never easy and not without pain. So I think you continue to see bankers mostly, stay put when it comes to their core uh, moving forward. Right. And, you know, well, what's a little core conversion after 2020 now? That's, 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 that's not too bad. <laughs> might, might as well. <laughs> might as well. Just go ahead and throw that on the fire, too. Well, Jimmy, it, it has been quite a year, um, and you mentioned the crisis leadership, and I wanted to thank you uh, uh, publicly for, for your participation in that, being willing to jump on board to something wild and crazy, uh, like a crisis leadership program, and I really thank you for, for stepping up and, and helping the industry uh, like you have over the past uh, several months. Thank you. Um, I did. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what's coming up over the next few months for Sawyer's and Jacobs, what y'all are working on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's always a pleasure to spend time with you guys and we really appreciate everything you guys do for the community banking industry uh, at Sawyer's and Jacobs, you know, our team, I, I will say this, you know, because we had so many postponements uh, back in March and April, our team yeah. has, out, out there on on the road, you know, we've been well equipped to do a lot of our engagements uh, remotely. So we've been using Zoom and Citrix GoToMeeting. I mean, we work mm-hmm. well remotely for sure. And then we've had other clients that still want us to come on site. So we've been doing a combination of those. So our people are out really working hard, taking care of our clients, getting those engagements in before the year ends, and then looking into 2021, you know, really we're, we're fortunate demand for our services has really never been higher because we're helping a lot of these banks with this digital transformation, but also back to the security and convenience, helping them keep these channels secure, but also not making them so locked down. Customers don't want to do business with them. So right. that balance. So we, we think we do a good job of helping banks achieve that balance. And, you know, I think there's too much security theater going on. A lot of banks, so it's feel good security. It's not real security. So we're helping them go through the risk assessments and and the practical risk management to determine what makes sense as far as mitigating controls. So uh, I'm excited. I think we'll see more core evaluations we're doing, more strategic technology plans. Certainly uh, cybersecurity and IT auditing has been our bread and butter for a long time. We're doing a lot more business continuity. I'm helping a bank uh, in Ohio tomorrow go through a cybersecurity incident tabletop test. So considering mm-hmm. what if the bank what if the bank has a ransomware attack? What if it's a business email compromise? So uh, a lot of good things going on. We're excited about 2021. We we believe we're going to come out of this uh, this crisis and a lot a lot smarter and a lot uh, better uh, for, for the experience in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. So we're, we're excited about that. And, you know, we've got a great team. I'm so proud of my team, how well they've done through this whole process. And I'm also so proud of our clients and how well they've served their 
customers and their communities during this. So um, I, I'm, I remain optimistic. I remain optimistic that things are going to get better and that we're going to be able to all uh, get, get back to uh, what we enjoy best and uh, be able to go out and have a have a good steak and, uh, and, <laughs> and open, open restaurants and open businesses and, and be, but at the same time still embrace digital services, but mm-hmm. not as the, not as the only channel. So, uh, looking forward to it and certainly looking forward to, to uh, banking school next year and seeing you yeah. guys again and, and continuing, I guess what looks like 22nd or 23rd year I've lost track in, uh, <laughs> in our class on technology payments and cybersecurity. So, uh, th- thanks for having me again, Byron. It's all, oh, always a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Jimmy. If I don't talk to you, have a good, have a good Merry Christmas. Absolutely. Merry Christmas to you, Byron. Thanks. Well, that's our episode for today. We hope you've enjoyed yourself and learned a little something. If you haven't already, please feel free to subscribe to our podcast and drop us a five-star rating. You can follow us at Barrett Banking on Twitter or Barrett School of Banking on Facebook and LinkedIn. And we even have a new Community Banking Road Trip playlist on Spotify highlighting your favorite songs about your home state. Check that out and feel free to submit your favorite song about your state to add to the playlist. We have an ever-growing slate of classes, seminars, and webinars that are available, and not to mention our industry-recognized Graduate School of Banking every May, and we look forward to seeing you at any or all of our events. For more information, check out our website at barrett.ws. And from Memphis, the heart of banking, blues, and barbecue, we'll see y'all next time on Main Street Banking.